we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Um, we are in the third part of the series, Let's Talk About What We Never Talk About. And if you haven't been with us in this series, we've been talking about the things that we all hate talking about, which is money, politics, and religion. Specifically, we've been talking about two of those. And the reason why we've been talking about money and religion is because often uh, we struggle with the two of them. That oftentimes things that are meant to be good and to move the world forward often are abused by powers and leadership and authority and just people who are just part of those organizations. And so a lot of us get a bad taste in our mouths when it comes to money and religion. And if you know me, you will know that in the 40 years that I've been here, we have talked about giving once. And so I felt like we should probably talk about what we never talk about here at Joliet first. And so just a caveat, if you're new or it's your first time back in a long time, um, this message is not for you. You can point the finger at anybody else and say, ha ha, I told you so, guys. It'll be fine. But um, this is really for people who consider themselves followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, and say, hey, I want to be a part of something that's happening here in the church. So with that caveat, let's talk about the top 10 this morning. Would you pray for me? Lord, we do give thanks for this time of conversation. I pray that you would give me clarity. We acknowledge that you are God and we are not, and we pray that your spirit would move in this place and in this time and that we would acknowledge you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So, um, when I was a kid growing up, we would um, get in my dad's Oldsmobile. I think it was an 88 blue ginormous Oldsmobile and we would get on that on a Sunday morning and we'd sit in the garage while we wait on my mom and all the fumes would kind of get to us but what was really fun was that on the radio was the top 40 and you know um, who hosted that show it was this guy right here remember Casey Kasem that's right wasn't he an amazing host I mean I would get in the car and it was the beginning of the show and there was something about his voice that is just so soothing and calming. And then when he starts talking about the artist and how they created this song and why it's so weird and wacky, you were just kind of like drawn into this. And so on the way to church, we would listen to Casey Kasem's Top 40, which was so much fun. So we get the first part of it. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, Casey Kasem uh, started in a radio station in LA. And it turns out that the two DJs before him were fired. And so his first day on the job, he was on the chopping block. Like, L.A., you get that. They're a whole another beast. And so trying to connect with L.A., you know, and the people of L.A. is really hard because it's just kind of on the front edge of society and where everything's going. And so he's sitting there playing music one day, and he picks up a magazine, and in the magazine is trivia about artists and music. And he's going through it, and he thinks to himself, I wonder if my listeners would be interested in answering these questions. And so he just starts 
posing these questions over the radio and people start tuning in. And then he starts this whole top 40 thing and telling stories and adding more trivia to it. And he is accredited essentially with coming up with the top 10 or the top 40 list of music. Now, here's the genius behind it. I don't know if he intentionally did this, but the genius behind it is that we are hardwired as humans to solve puzzles and problems. Like, I don't know if you know this, but your mind and your brain goes into survival mode when there's a puzzle or a problem that needs to be solved and when it comes to needing to know. And so it's interesting that in the top 40 list that Casey Kasem would provide to us, suddenly we are drawn in because we need to know who's going to make it, where and when and in what place. And so it's like addicting to us. It's just part of our nature. It's part of our nature to know who's in the top 40 and more importantly, who is in the top 10, which is why I tell you this story. If the preacher would preach long enough, which back then they did, I've been reminded about the holiness movement and when people were really Christians and they got excited and we went for hours on end. So if he went for two or three hours, there was a good chance when I got back in the car, go down to Frisch's Big Boy to get the breakfast buffet, we would hear the top 10 songs on Casey Kasem's top 40. Now, the other 30 I could care less about because it was like hit or miss, but the top 10, these are the best of the best. I mean, these are artists who give their life to creating in order to get to what I call the top or the top tier. You with me? Create to get, create to get, create to get to the top. And I know we would look at them and say, wow, that's really quite the life. But don't you think that we sort of take the same angle at life I mean, I think we are hardwired. I mean, it is innate in us that we want to be successful in life. And if we're honest, we want to be in the top 10 in life. We want to get to the top. I mean, think about it. When you're choosing a college, you don't say, I would love to go to the worst college in Illinois. No, you say, I want to find the top 10 of its kind, and I want to go to the top 10 colleges of its kind. I want to be in the top 10 of my class. If you're like me, you didn't care about that. It was just sports and other things. But anyway, uh, but if you care about education, you wanted to be in the top 10 of your class. When my kid comes home, and I look at his Ames test, and I'm looking to see if they're in the 90th percentile, which, by the way, actually doesn't come out to the top 10. It just means you're in the 90th percentile. But for my mere math, you know, how I think that adds up, that just means they're in the top 10. But it doesn't. If you're in a race, a marathon, uh, whatever it is in your life, you want to be in the top 10. And so what happens is over time as we give our full attention to those things, when it comes to mothering, when it comes to pastoring, when it comes to how we do at our performance in our job, when it comes to uh, being a student, when it becomes to being a mom, anything that we do, we will give our full attention to it. And we give our best to it because in order to be the top 10, you know, you want to be one of the moms that's on Facebook that everybody looks at or on Instagram because they want a parent like you. You have to give your full attention to it. But you know how grueling that is. Come on. After a long day or a long week of work, when you get home, you are exhausted, you're tired, you're mentally checked out, which is why on Monday I watched The Bachelorette because there is no mental uh, uh, 
you know, aptitude needed to watch The Bachelorette. You just need to watch it. It's mindless. But at the end of the day and at the end of the week, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're mentally checked out, you're at the bottom of what you have left. Essentially, you're living on what's left. And the truth is, is that the things that matter most in life often get the least attention. Like we think that it is our jobs. We think that it is this or that. And so we give so much to that. And what I've learned and what I think you probably have learned as well, this is nothing new, is that a lot of times we give so much attention and we're giving the things that matter most our leftovers. You know this as a parent. Um, at the end of the day, when you've gone to work, when you've come home and you've cooked and when you've put the kids to bed and you've read books and you've done all these amazing things that are supposed to be a lot of fun. Um, when I ask older people, like, what was the best time of your life? They say, when I had kids. But it's funny now that we have kids, we think it's the most exhausting and tiring time of our lives. And so when we get to the point where we're putting our kids to bed, we're like, I can't wait until this is over. And we just give our kids whatever we have left. And I truly think that in our attempt to create a life, to get somewhere in life, to get to the top 10 in life, a lot of times we give God what's left. In fact, here's the question I want to wrestle you to wrestle with this morning is, are you simply giving God your leftovers? I'm guilty of this. I have come home after a long day. I have laid down at 10 o'clock and it's like, oh, I probably should say a prayer because I haven't done anything holy all day. So you start and it's like, dear God, and you're gone. You've done that? Some of you are doing that right now. I can see it. You're like, wake up. And I think that's our struggle, is that in our attempt to get to the top tier, we simply give God what's left over. And so today, interestingly, with the Casey Kasem theme here, we're going to look at a music artist who writes a lot of songs, a lot of poems, and a lot of prayers. And it's interesting in life because, because his top priority in life was God. In fact, we would say that he's a man after God's own heart and all that stuff. But here's what he knows, and here's what he understands about each of us, is that there were times in his life where in his attempt to create the greatest kingdom, to become the greatest king in life, he gave God his leftovers. And he realizes, and you can see it in his life, that when his perspective changes, the priorities change as well. That what was supposed to be really important in his life suddenly moves to the back, and what was in the back and shouldn't be in the front suddenly comes to the front. And he's saying, hey guys, this has been my experience in life. When you give God what's left over, the things that matter the least find their way to the top. And so he writes this little poem today. And he says, I want you to have the right perspective. Because your perspective will shape your priorities. That is so important. If you can hear that today, your perspective shapes your priorities. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So here's what he writes out of his own experience and putting God at the end of his day sometimes. He says, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life... Can, can you imagine asking God to know the number of your days? Some of you don't want to know. 
I mean, I really don't want to know that I'm going to pull out on 52 today and get hit by a semi. That would be really bad if that actually happened. But would you really want to know that? David's like putting it in perspective for us, and we think this is really about life. He says, hey, show me the number of my days. Show me the extent of my life. Show me how quick it has gone. And then he says this, and this is so important. He says, you have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years in the life of God is absolutely nothing. And then I want you to hang on to this phrase. He says, everyone not just the select few of you. He says, everyone is just a breath. Even those who seem secure. Now, I'm going to ask you in a minute, so this is like, you know, the answer to the test. So when I ask you, you better know. I want you to hang on to these words, breath and secure, because it's really key to the story. Have you ever been with somebody who just won't come out and say it? Have you ever been with somebody who is talking about what you know they're not actually talking about? Like they're talking about something more. This has been my experience in relationships. Maybe you've had this experience in relationships as well. Uh, Janelle and I have this agreement in our marriage that I do the dishes and she does the laundry because she hates dishes and I hate laundry. And so it just works out well for the both of us. But I have this horrible habit. I'm letting you in on my secret life. Um, I have this horrible habit. She will fold the clean clothes and put it in a basket and she'll stick it at the end of the bed. And of course, I don't see it to be necessary to actually pull them out of the basket to put them in the drawer that you're eventually gonna pull right back out of to begin with. And so instead of like doubling the work, why not just pull it out of the basket? Why would you put your clothes away? Seems crazy to me. And, but I have this other bad habit that like at the end of the day, I will take this shirt and I will take these jeans and instead of throwing in the hamper just to like, you know, keep Janelle from doing all this laundry, I have this thought that maybe I'll wear these clothes again. So what I do is I put these jeans in the shirt and I'll put it back on top of the clean clothes. And then of course, I, I know some of you are like, oh my goodness, pastor's dirty. <laughs> But then I'll never wear it. And so what happens is this repetitive, I pull the clean clothes out, I put the dirty clothes on top, and then by the end of the week, uh, the mixture of dirty and clothes gets to the point where I forget what's clean and I forget what's dirty, and it's just this giant heap of clothes and nobody knows what's what, but it's just annoying to Janelle. Not to mention we have kids that pee on the seats. Um, And so at the end of the day, she occasionally will get upset, not very often. And she will, she'll just not say anything. When she gets upset, she gets quiet. So if she's not talking to you, she's probably upset with you. Um, and so I will ask her, what's wrong? Hey, what's wrong, you know? And um, she starts talking about clothes. Your dirty clothes, your clean clothes, 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 clothes. And what I find is <laughs> we're not really talking about clothes. I mean, I'm an idiot. It takes me a few days to figure it out. But eventually I understand, oh, she's not talking about clothes. She's talking about something else. She's talking about the fact that she feels disrespected. So what we were talking about the whole time is not what we should have been talking about from the very beginning. And I tell you all that to say this. What David writes in the beginning of this text or the beginning of this poem, he's not actually talking about what we think he's talking about. 
In fact, we think he's talking about the extent and the expanse of life and how short it is. But it's interesting. He uses these two words. Do y'all remember them? Breath and secure. Wow, I even put it up for you for those who forgot two minutes ago. Breath and secure. And it's interesting because those, you can sense the dissonance between those two words, but yet they tell a greater story. In fact, I know some of you know this story. Some of you are not familiar with this story, but this is where David is headed, and you wouldn't know it actually reading it, but this is where he's going. He says, a long time ago, there was this ancient story about two brothers named Cain and Abel. You know this, and it's an interesting story because Cain was a, he was a vegan, and so he raised nothing but crops, you know, fruits and veggies. He was on, you know, he didn't believe in the keto diet or any of that. He was just a straight vegetarian. And so he spent a lot of his time farming. And then he has this brother named Abel who is a shepherd. And so he has, you know, sheep and whatever they had back then and all the choice meats and everything else like that. And they had something in common. Every day they would go and they would worship God. But as you know, in that day, it was kind of weird. They would sacrifice things. This was their way of appeasing God and making him happy. And that's just how it went. And so it tells us in the story that when they show up, Cain gives some of his first fruits. And then Abel gives, quote, I tell you, a fat portion. Have you ever thought, and what is wrong with God? How is fat appealing? You remember this in health class when they would hold up a pound of fat and it's all yellow and looks like a cow's curded cheese that had been stuck out in the sun for you know what I'm talking about, right? How is fat appealing to God? Apparently, God likes it. So he gives this fat portion, but he says it was from the firstborn of the flock. And so they give this, their, their sacrifices and their offerings to God. And then all of a sudden, um, God finds favor on one and not the other. He finds favor on Abel and not Cain. And Cain gets really upset. And so God has this, you know, little parental conversation, like, son, come in here for just a minute. And he says, why are you so angry and upset? I mean, why is your face downcast? He says, come on, listen, I want, you, I want you to hear this. He says, you know that if you do what is right, that you will find favor, that you will find your offering and your sacrifice acceptable. And so they have this little conversation, you think, Right, Cain's going to get this. He's going to get this right. So he does. He goes out and he kills his brother. Anybody that says the Bible's boring is mistaken. Yeah, he just goes out and kills his brother. So I'm thinking to myself, this message is a slam dunk. Like, it's a no-brainer. Cain gives some of his first fruits, and Abel gives the first portion from the first, you know, firstborn. Like, this is a no-brainer. We just need to give our best. That's what God asks of us. And then I read a scholar, which, by the way, I haven't picked up a scholar book in a long time, but I needed some help. And so I picked this up. And interestingly, he says, both offerings were acceptable, equally acceptable. So I'm like, well, that blows my message. Like, <laughs> I'm going to have to start over because that, that's not where I was headed. He says, no, 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 both offerings were acceptable. It's just that God finds favor over one than the other. And that got my wheels spinning. So, you know, it looks like 
midterms and I had books all over the kitchen table because I'm like, where am I going to go now? I mean, y'all are expecting something up here and it just ruined my message. And so, so I just started with their names. And it's so interesting that Cain's name literally means to create or to get. And there is this repetition in his life where he creates and then he gets and then he creates and he gets. And we can think that this is kind of what we do in our lives. And ultimately what happens is we find security. Oh, that's what David was talking about. Secure. And then you remember the other word that David put in there? Anybody remember that? What's he talk about? Breath. And interestingly, I get to Abel and I find out that his name means nothing but vapor and nothingness. And in this, I find that God actually is equated with land. And so I'm trying to, like, these are puzzle pieces for me. I'm, trying, I'm an idiot. I'm trying to put these things together. And quickly what I realize is that Cain's land... In other words, Cain's God isn't producing what Abel's is. And so what Cain does is he takes things into his own hands and again lives into the very identity and name that he assumes and he starts creating and he starts getting. And the reason why he kills his brother is not because he wants to murder him, but he wants to use the moisture from the blood of his body to then fertilize the ground to produce a greater crop that's acceptable to God. You with me on this? And I think that we are a lot like Cain. That much of our lives, if we're honest, you will hear people say this, and maybe you've said this before, I am self-made. I've gotten in life where I am because of what I did. And so we spend a lot of time we assume this, we create in order to get. Like, I have the job because I have, because of what I do, you know? Um, and so we do this over, it's this create, we get, we create, we get. I've got this house, I've got this job, I've got these kids, I've got all this because of what I've done. And this is the perspective that David warns us about. This is the perspective that David himself assumed when he was king over Israel. And he says, hey, you get what you put in. I mean, this is what Cain essentially is saying to us. And you've heard people say this to you. You get what you put in. You get out of it what you put into it. And so you go around working and creating and making a life that you've always dreamed of. But what happens is we lose focus of the priority, which is why David ends it with this sentence. He says, surely everyone, notice he's including everyone, not just a select few. Everyone goes around like a mere phantom. I don't know what that means, but sounds pretty cool. I'd love to be phantom-like. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom and in vain they rush about heaping up wealth. Again, they create, they get. They create, they get. This is how we live our lives. And then he finishes it this way. He says, without knowing whose it will finally be. 
Have you ever mistaken something for yours that wasn't yours? Anybody ever do this? Mistaken something that you thought was yours that actually wasn't yours? My dad did this once. It was great. He was, um, for a time, the volunteer worship leader at a church there in Pickwell, Ohio. And, um, and little did I know that uh, uh, Janelle's uncle was our pastor, and I was one relationship away from my wife my entire life. I didn't even know it. Anyway, um, he was done leading worship, and he comes down, and Pastor Dan is thanking him. You're thank you for doing such a great job. And my dad's acknowledge, you know, acknowledging him. And he sits down, my dad sits down, he puts his arm around my mom and um, he's looking up at the pastor and all of a sudden the pastor starts looking at him like, what in the world are you doing, man? And of course we were wondering the same thing because instead of sitting with us, he was sitting in front of us and he had accidentally put his arm, he had mistaken my mom for the pastor's wife and he's got his arm around the pastor's wife like, all right, come on, give it to us. <laughs> And uh, we all laughed, of course. It was very good. But um, I think we are mistaken on whose it really is. You can hear it in our, our language. We will say things like, this is my house. These are my kids. This is my spouse, Janelle. This is my church. This is my, this is my, this is my, this is my, this is mine. And the reason why David writes breath and the reason why he takes us to Abel and why Abel is key to the story is because Abel understands that his perspective changes his priorities. Back to the offerings being equal. Why did God choose one? It wasn't about their offering. It was about their perspective. And Abel understood that everything that he had was not his. That it wasn't about what he put into it that he would get out of it, but he realizes that what he already had out of it came from the God who gave it in the first place. And so he just understands that this God is different from any other God, and he's amazing that he blesses and he gives. Like, by the way, the narratives back then were, hey, sacrifice your kids, sacrifice your house, sacrifice your livestock. You won't have anything left left just to appease the wrath of the God. But Abel says, no, 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 this God blesses you and gives you, and because of that, I will give him my very best. I will not give God the leftovers at the end of my day. I will not give the leftovers. I will give because he gives me his best, I will give him my best. And you can see that God and giving back to God is the priority. And so here's what I want you to know today. This is so important. It's not what you put in. You don't get what you put in. You get what God gives. You don't get what you put in in life. You get what God gives you. Janelle helped me see something that I'd, I've never seen before. I thought this was really good. In the whole scheme of giving, and in the church world, we say you need to give a tenth. That's what tithe literally means. But she said, I always like to think about it that, that God gives me 90% of whatever is his. Like we complain 10%, my goodness, that's a car payment, that's a house payment, that's a medical bill, that's my kid's lunch money. Like why do I have to give this God 10% and it's all about perspective? Instead of saying, wow, God blesses me and out of that blessing, I will graciously and with gratitude give to the God who gives to me. 
God entrusts you with 90% of what is his. And so I've just been wrestling with this question because it goes further than just stuff and getting into the top tier of life and into the top 10. What would it look like for us to give the first portion, to give the top 10, maybe even the top 10% of our lives to God? I can hear you saying it. It's like, goodness, 10%? But it's interesting to me. Like, I I was thinking, what if we were to give God 10% of our mind and of our time and of our prayer life and of our attitude? Like, what if we started there? Like, instead of waking up to your email and waking up to text messages because everything's emergency today, I can't find my socks random example let me help you you know no 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 what if we gave God on average you're probably up 15 hours a day what if we were just to give God an hour of our time and you're saying that's a lot of time well here's an interesting step Americans spend 11 hours a day on social media I know you're like 11 hours. That's listening to the radio. That's on your apps. That's listening to podcasts. That's on your computer. That's whatever you do throughout the day. We spend 11 hours on some sort of gadgets. That's 75% of your day. And I know you're like, one one hour? What, one hour? But he gets, it's pretty quick when you just start giving thanks to God for some things in your life. When you start writing some things down, maybe some questions you have about God. If you're doing the rooted journey with us, that'll take up an hour in itself. By the way, you need to be enrooted. It's amazing. In Todd's word, it's amazing. But you can quickly fill an hour giving God the first portion of your day. I hear people say all the time, I don't have time for that. I've got to go straight to work. I get up at six. Well, get up at 4.30. Just go to bed at eight. Don't stay up till midnight. It's about priority. It's about your perspective. And so start with your attitude, your mind, your time, and your prayer life. What would it look like for you to give God the first portion? And then, of course, I'm going to ask about your finances. And again, this isn't for people who are here for the first time. What would it look like for you to give 10% to God? And I know it's like, man, I have bills. I have medical bills. I have things, pastor, that you don't even understand that I can't pay. I'm behind. I'm in debt. I'm in, I'm a pastor. I understand. (laughs) But it's about priority. Like if I just said, I'll give this God first and then I'll worry about the rest. I wonder what would happen. In fact, we have somebody in our congregation, it's amazing, when, when I say, give me an example, Brad, give me an example, I love this. We have a gentleman in our congregation who um, is battling cancer in his life um, and, and he's been fighting and fighting for years and it's amazing to watch him do this um, and it's painful and he's held off chemo as long as he can, but you know, now he's dealing with chemo treatments and anybody who's been through cancer knows exactly what that's like and so, uh, but, the, but the other week, um, 
came in the back door and I met him over by the bathroom and you know, I was just asking how he's doing, and his sister was with him, and uh, she said, you know, he's just feeling really bad today. You know, he went through all these treatments. He's doing horrible. He's dizzy. feels nauseous. He's just, like, he just needs to go home and get rest. And I said, well, what in the world is he doing here? And she said, he just wanted to come and give his donation. The only reason he came was to give his first portion and then he walked out because he needed rest so I want to help you this week to practice this to move forward in your spiritual life and so to help you remember this I'm going to do a cheer Um, I don't know if you remember this from football or any other sport but I want you to give the first portion and I want you to give 10% of your attitude, your mind, your lives, your finances, everything it is, I want you to give the first part of it to God. And so the mantra that I want you to hear when you get up is, first and 10, do it again, go church, let's go. Yeah, yeah, let me help you. First and 10, do it again, let's go. Every day, the first thing you get up is you can see that wonderful, I need to stretch, my hammies are a little tight, but we'll get the kick. But every day you wake up, first portion, 10%, first portion, 10%, first and 10, let's do it again. And I tell you, the more you say it, the more motivated you get, the more likely you are to do it. So every, every day, as you, just this week, I'm not telling for the rest of your life, just try it for a time, for a period. First and 10, let's do it again as followers. Did I lose my mic? And I do want to say to each of you, thank you for being generous. Uh, I look at our church and I think with the amount of people we have, it's amazing how generous you are. So thank you for that. But first and 10 this week, let's do it again.